on the Zoom line is a wonderful young woman I call the maestro. Danny Tanzella is a composer, performer, a former nurse, and a political activist. Is there anything else you would like to add to what I just said about you? Mm, teacher. T- teacher? She's <laughs> a music teacher. You had had and probably will have again students coming into your home and what do they learn from you when they come to your house we learn all different kinds of things uh, the basics of music music theory different instruments we've got saxophone students and bassoon students and piano students and vocal students we've taken several weeks and we're actually doing black music appreciation <laughs> so we've been talking a lot about black lives matter and cultural influence and all of that too So when you talk to your students, and they range in age, I assume, from young to teenage, uh, roughly. I've got four-year-olds and I've got 70-year-olds. 70? Yeah. Wow. Somebody too late. (laughs) Yeah, I know, man. Well, maybe I'll take from you at at some point because I'm definitely definitely pushing there. But when you talk to kids, let's just start with that because I know you love kids and I know you teach a lot of them and have taught a lot of them. What do you tell them about What's going on in the world today? You know what's crazy is they are aware of it already. Kids are already sort of naturally in this zone where they are they have a grasp on gender and orientation and acceptance and different races and history and it's been so long since I've been a kid. <laughs> but you forget that you're you're sort of like always like well why? Why? Why don't we like that person? Why is that bad? You know, there's not just a generalized, like, obviously these people are worse than these people, you know? So they, they sort of naturally have a state of acceptance and empathy for others and for the environment and for animals. And, and so kids are the ones that are actually easy to reach if you say like, so this is important because of this. And then they'll go, why? Like five times as we continue to break it open. But they grasp it and integrate it so quickly, so quickly up to the teenagers, because, you know, I thought my generation was a bunch of badasses. Like this next generation is a bunch of badasses. Like these kids coming up right now, this um, Gen Z, are they Gen Y? I don't know. I'm not sure. They're Gen Z. I'm a millennial. So whoever came after me, they're way ahead of the game already. Right. They've got like, they grew up with like the internet and social media and everything. So they have just already, got it down and they're already being activists. So in the month or so that I've been doing these teachings, it's actually been the people that are my age and older where we've actually had to have the very long drawn out discussions that maybe take a couple of weeks where we come back to it and go like, Oh yeah, you know what? I did actually read this thing or I understand what we were talking about before. I just never thought of it that way. It's like actually easier to address the children. This is why it's so important to not indoctrinate our children with terrible, terrible ideas (laughs) because they grow up with it and then it becomes harder to have a free thinking adult, right? Like children are just sort of naturally free thinkers. It really makes me realize that hate and bigotry and racism and uh, religious superiority, that's taught. It really is learned. And so I don't know. I always feel like I got to catch them while they're young, (laughs) catch them while they're young and have those conversations and be a safe space. I have had students who have asked me very tough questions. I have students who I was the first person that they came out to. I've had students who have 
said, I don't understand this. Can you help me understand what this thing is? Why are people so mad? Well, where would you like to begin in the crazy world of, of issues that we're <laughs> facing right now? We can talk COVID-19. We can talk Black Lives Matter. We can talk Donald Trump. Maybe we should avoid, let's avoid that one. If uh, we can't, well, we can't help it. Probably. We can't because, because really what <laughs> all roads lead back to the Donald, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Just at this point, I sort I of know. feel like you can't, can't get around it anymore. So I am a white woman, right? So I sort of feel like no one needs to hear my opinion, right? No, like I'm not going to be saying anything important. Like it's the most important thing for us to be doing right now is to be listening to black people, especially. But I did think about like, what sort of view do I have that's a different perspective than what we're used to. And I am a queer woman, and I'm a transplant. It's very interesting from both of those perspectives to look at just globally what's happening right now. So the transplant part is you're referring coming up from Arizona to Oregon? Yeah, coming specifically to Portland. Yeah. People in Portland are, are starting to acknowledge more the, the crazy racist history, right? Right. Um, you know, being the white, the whitest, right? Major city. Something like that. Yeah. 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 If not, like, obviously, mostly white. And so it's sort of interesting coming from Arizona, which has been on the news lately. It's changed a little since I've been there, but Arizona just kind of wears its racism on its sleeve. Like yeah. it really doesn't give a crap about what anyone else thinks about what it is. It's the wild west out there. So when I was looking for a place to move, I did feel like Portland had this openness. It had some color, which was nice. And it had some arts and there were a lot of really good things about it. I visited once and then I moved here. And then I sort of looked around and I was like, where are all the brown and black people? It was uh, shocking for me, actually, to just sort of see just a sea of white people. And then actually the first six to eight months I was here, people thought I was a different ethnicity or race because I'm more tan and I have black hair and black eyebrows. And, you know, people were, oh, where are you from? It's like Arizona. Oh, I thought you were Israeli. I thought you were Mexican. I thought, you know, it's like, <laughs> you're all very white. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm a white girl. Like there's, you know, I'm Sicilian, but I am white. So it was very shocking. And then to just sort of notice, hear, and feel this little dirty underbelly of this city. There's some definite like racist sort of something yucky. There's a little something yucky that no one is talking about here. Having to find any other race besides white was a challenge um, because I didn't feel comfortable growing up in a mostly Hispanic area, you know, growing up speaking Spanish and going to a school that had black and, and Mexican and Latinx students. I was just sort of like, I feel uncomfortable here. Going back to Eric Garner and the reaction of what was going on there, going to Me Too, going to the BLM movement, going to the Max stabbings, going to, you know, it was just like, oh, okay. It is still here. I was feeling an internalization of what was just way out in the open back home. It's like people just use uh, racial slurs in everyday conversation. And here it's hidden and suppressed. And then on top of that denied, no, 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 we love everybody. We're the most accepting city. And, you know, it's like, well, sort of, yeah. you know, but we have to acknowledge that history. Right. Right. I live in North Portland. So there's a lot of history. 
Sure. There is, and, and a lot of it's really ugly. When you think about your perspective as a queer woman in this environment now, we had an interesting conversation last week about this, and I'd like to, I'd like to revisit that in terms of how you can walk around and unless you're with your wife or unless you're wearing a sign, people are going <laughs> to, they're not going to have any, you know, they're just not going to yeah. look at you and say, well, she's, do you prefer queer or gay? I, I don't I know. Like, I like the word queer because it's all encompassing. Okay. So that's not something that when someone meets you, that's not going to even occur to them. And you you said something really interesting about African-American people and really any minority, Mm -hmm. uh, if that's even the right word anymore, I don't know. But it's obvious, like you look at someone who's black, you know they're black and whatever your prejudices might be, you're going to have a reaction if you have any, right? Right. But... In your case, well, just talk about that. I mean, rather than me try to <laughs> recap what you told me, just give me your feelings on all. Yeah, I have been thinking about it a lot because watching everything that's going on and and listening and really only trying to speak when I'm in a situation where I've I've been in a conversation with someone where I feel like, oh, here's an opportunity for me to be like, did you ever think of it like this, right? Like my voice isn't the voice that we need to listen to right now. But if someone comes to me and says, oh, well, that makes sense, you know, and I'll go, here's why it doesn't make sense, actually. Um, Here's why, even if it was a counterfeit $20 bill, you shouldn't get murdered over it, you know? And I think I made that statement to you and I probably put like some post about it or something where it's like, I could literally more than likely shoot a person, have the cops called on me, run from the cops, kick and bite and slash the cops, and most likely get tased or forcibly put down. But no one's going to be kneeling on my neck and no one is going to shoot me. I am not going to get shot. And you have people like Elijah just walking home from a convenience store, just getting freaking murdered. You know, and, and I hear people saying, well, but they, but if they committed a crime, it's like, so they should die. I thought we had like a justice system for that, which is a whole other topic. Cause no, we don't. So you're sentencing someone to death for stealing a pack of cigarettes, right? It's crazy. So I think about why is it such a big deal to come out as, as queer? Why is it so hard? Right? Because there's violence, um, there's violence from your immediate family. You know, think about the the percentage of people on the street. Look up sometime what the percentage of trans kids that are on the street. It's huge. People that are displaced, people that are kicked out of their homes, or people who stay at home and who are abused, people who are tied to a fence and beat to death, people who are hung from trees. That's like not uncommon, right? And then you have just the every single day. Well, you don't look gay. Well, who's the man? How do you guys have sex with each other? Isn't that like a gay thing? Is this a gay thing? Like, it's just these little microaggressions that happen. And I think I totally have the privilege, which I never thought I would use queer and privilege in the same sentence, but I totally have the privilege of just not disclosing it or of having this little um, bubble where I'm safe until they figure it out. You hear the dog? Charlie. <laughs> Charlie. Charlie, that means, I think, I don't know what you're barking at, Charlie, but you need to, 
Danny was in the middle of a really important <laughs> point. So you have privilege. I can if I choose so. And I don't often choose so. But I can to save my own life or to avert a violent situation, just go back in the closet for a second. Yeah. A black person, a Latinx person, they do not have that option. They do not have that option. And so I thought like, wow, we have that coming out and then you have that onslaught of, oh, will they, won't they, are they accepting me? Am I gonna get hurt? Am I gonna get murdered over this? Like, I can't travel here, we can't travel here. When we go here, we have to be friends. We have to ask for two beds. Like, we know all that stuff when we're traveling and we're looking at how we're gonna live our lives. What part of town we can be holding hands in and what part of town we cannot be holding hands in, right? So I just thought, my God, to be queer and black, I, I can't even imagine, I can't even fathom it. Right. And it's the only lens I have to look through to try to find some empathy instead of just going, this is totally not right. This is totally not right. Like that sucks for you. It's like, okay, I think I've experienced a version of that and yours is a thousand times worse than that. And I will do whatever I can to make sure that I don't do it and that people around me don't do it and just learn as much as I can so that that's not happening. Right. Because it can be as simple as like, oh, can I touch your hair to like, you can't live here, you're black. Like it has that whole huge spectrum. Right. But they never, ever, ever get a break from it. There's never a moment of peace. It's there always. And, and then it was there for their parents and their family. And I mean, there's, there's no reprieve ever. And I can't imagine it. It's a lot of stress, you know. We have our little white stresses, I guess, but <laughs> right. um, they do. They do, and this is a bad turn of phrase. They do pale in comparison. There does seem to be a lot of momentum that is sustainable here with all of the stuff that's been happening. And do you have thoughts about whether this will stick? I would like to say I hope so. It's hard to think about in this instant gratification, gimme, gimme, gimme society that we are living in currently to think of people sticking out the longevity that it would take. And I, I read something recently that was like 400 days of protest during the 60s to actually get any sort of legislative change. And that was just like minuscule compared to what needed to happen, right? Can you do it for a year? America? Like, can you do it for a full year? It's like we've had pockets of the country that have been nonstop protesting since Standing Rock, since Eric Garner. I think quarantine helps, which is crazy to say, but where are you going to go? What are you going to do? How are you going to get away from it? Like, you really kind of can't just go about your regular life and, and pretend like it's fine for an extended period of time, right? Right. I mean, you can, you can go and pretend it's not there for a little while right. if you're white, <laughs> but you know, but for the most part, I mean, it's kind of in everyone's faces right now because it's all over social media. It's all over television. It's all over the news and we're not going to work. There's just more time to sit and listen and learn. And if not listen and learn, get beat in the head with it over and over and over again until you either just give up or not. So I do think during this quarantine, we're getting a stronger base of people who are willing to listen and learn and maybe change their ways. You brought up an interesting point about COVID. When I started rebooting this podcast, it was all about 
COVID. I mean, mm-hmm. at that point, nothing had happened. Uh, well, I'm sure stuff was happening. It just wasn't brought to our attention about Black Lives Matter and all of the right. horrible things that are going we on. hadn't had quite as good of a video footage right (laughs) yeah right it was like standing rock like people have been doing that to indigenous people forever but like someone caught it on tape and then everyone was like oh my god what are they doing yeah exactly (laughs) exactly but the the silver lining i guess of the covid cloud and how as you were saying people are kind of still locked in we're mostly staying at home. We're not doing the usual things that we normally do. We're way less distracted with, you know, our fun going to bars, et cetera, et cetera. And and now we are a real captive audience to this entire transformation. And that's what I was getting at when I started doing this there was a lot of hope about this finally being something that is going to, I'm going to say a bad word that is going to wake people the fuck up. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's finally, here's our chance to really pay attention to the world. And for me, initially it was much more about the environment because you remember when COVID first broke, it's like the canals in Venice are clear. There's no pollution in China, all of that. Yeah. And now it's, it's more focused on humanity. Not that the environment is, isn't important for our, our survival, but you know, now it's like, wow, look what's happening to these people, not just in our country, but, all over the world. I mean, imagine being in Uganda and having COVID. I mean, come right. on. You know, it's... it's right. And the disease is... is uh, I mean, okay, so first off, the captive audience that we have is the one that has always been needing to be the captive audience. Affluent white people, yep. right? We yep. got you. You're yep. stuck now, right? Yep. So that's the audience that has needed to be the audience. And on top of it, COVID is affecting... Black people two times more and, and Latinx people three times more than any other group, right? The question I ask everybody that I've been talking to on this podcast is, what's giving you hope right now? Yeah, that is um, something different every day and definitely something that I have to search for every day because, you know, I've been... I have been um, fighting and speaking up about these kinds of issues since I was like 10. I mean, I can't remember not having some kind of a sign on my wall or on my desk or something on my car. Like it's going to all the protests. That's what I grew up doing. And there are moments where it's just like, my God, do we have any hope as a planet, as a species, as a anything? Like, is there any hope? And I don't know. I mean, dare I say the 2020 election? I have hope. I don't care who it is, but I have hope that we will be in a Trump-free presidency starting this year. And that brings me all kinds of hope to think about that. The new legislation that just came out of the Supreme Court saying that you can't discriminate 
against someone's orientation and, and gender without sexual discrimination, right? So right, right. that gave me some hope. And then all the shit that I have that comes from my privilege. I mean, being able to go for a walk, being able to work from home and still have income, my dogs, food, cooking. I've been doing a lot of cooking. And then just listening and learning and watching to see how many other people are listening and learning and showing up. You know, I mean, there's got to be hope in that. My dream of dreams is no more Trump. <laughs> My dream of all dreams. <laughs> just like, let's just get that one thing out of the way where right. we can. We can take immediate action and get that stuff done. <laughs> yeah. And then we can go on to all of the other deep, deep embedded problems that we have. But like, that's when we can just freaking check off in November. Like, just check that one off the list. Anything else you can think of before Charlie starts to bark? Oh, Charlie. Anything? I, I don't know. I I know I sound like probably angry and ranty, but I, you know I do feel like there's a level of being fired up, right? Um, and a level of wanting to do something, you know, and especially being in quarantine and feeling like, what can I do? What can I do? You know, and it's kind of nice to be like, oh, listen, <laughs> listen, that's what you can do. Open yeah. your eyes, that's what you can do. Yeah. Learn something, that's what you can do. Right. Right. And not learn it by asking your black friend, like go and find it yourself and see and, and really do that deep personal work of where is this inside of me and where can I go trace my life all the way back and just see it happening. That's what I'm hanging on to right now. And I, and I am grateful to see other people doing it. And of course me being who I am, I'm just like, everyone hurry up and get on board. Do the work already. <laughs> How many protest songs can I write? I know, I know. <laughs> when Danny and I met, I was doing a series of Portland protest songs, and you wrote a beautiful one. I'm going to put it in this <laughs> oh, podcast. Awesome. I mean, that makes complete, complete sense. And you know, it's interesting. I was just thinking about that song that I wrote for your series there, and it is a song. My song is definitely about systemic racism. Right. And I remember, you know, the chorus is, instead of my rage, this is my love. And it's not, it's not that like, oh, love your enemies. But I just felt it was so fresh, that Trump presidency and all the things that, I mean, things were just going down like every second. And I was like, okay, instead of like throwing my rage at you, I'm going to throw some love into activism so we can get some stuff done because you got to go. And all of this has to go. Yeah.
Charlie completely, agrees. completely agrees Charlie. with you, man. That's so <laughs> funny. He's become quite the uh, quite the addition to filling the air with words. All right, well, I got to go. Charlie's got to go. Great to see you. What's your website? It's uh, dannytenzellamusic.com. Awesome. You've been listening to Filling the Air with Words, version 2.0. Find us on Facebook, SoundCloud, and Twitter dedicated to the life and memory of our friend Jane Shannon.